0: Christ commanded us to preach the gospel and disciple the nations. All we do is in support of that mission statement. Join us as we strive to fight the good fight of faith together. Welcome to the Warriors Rising. Hey, this is Paul with Warriors Rising. Glad to have you on the team. Glad to have you in the fight. We're here today on the 29th of October with Tiana Showy from Made to Conquer Podcast. How are you doing, Tiana?
1: You're good, Paul, but it's not October.
0: December. It's <laughs> early. I've been up since 2.30 and I'm getting over this sinus junk.
1: Thank you. <laughs> you, you uh, we lost a few months there. <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you.
0: It's December. It's December, everybody. We're rolling... Fast and furious into January, so 2024 is coming. World War III is coming, and who knows whatever the heck else is going on? I think we're all prepped and ready for like, dear God, please just can the rapture happen so <laughs> so we don't. have, It's it's not even you know it's it's not even that I'm scared or like oh gosh what's gonna happen next. It's that like I'm just kind of tired of it, you know. Yeah. Like, but uh, at the same time, exciting excited to be here at this time at this moment in history because it, it is an exciting time you know you know obviously i'm sure there's many people when they look at their time frames and like world war ii they believe they were the last generation and but the best time to be alive is right
1: now <laughs> <laughs> you don't say well i'm just reading first and second thessalonians on repeat until the rapture happened so <laughs> right i figure if i just read it over and over again maybe <laughs>
0: my gosh yeah I just yeah, with, with the the repetition in the prayer keep asking Knock <laughs> knocking the door will be open to you
1: yeah it's it's the persistent widow yeah.
0: <laughs> please come for us oh my gosh no but it but it is exciting you know because as we're going to see in some articles today it's it obviously getting darker it's it's not getting better so unfortunately for those that are in the post millennial world uh your your theories continue to be trounced upon um <laughs> and if anybody that doesn't know what postmillennialism is they believe that post is the belief that ultimately the world is going to become christianized they will say hey don't pay attention to the news don't pay attention to this these crazy uh literalists these biblical literalists that think prophecy is going to be fulfilled literally with the the world getting terrible and a true tribulation don't worry about that. We're gonna Christianize the world. We're gonna have this whatever period of peace and prosperity and Christianity. And then Jesus will come back at some point when the kingdom is a stat and this stat, basically. It's yeah. So um everything flying in the face of of that belief system. <laughs> yeah. amazing. The 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 Bible paints a picture that the world is not going to be a pretty place. Uh so But it is, like I said, it is an exciting time to be a Christian because there is a lot of work that can be done. And whether we like it or not, we're here. So you can either sit on your laurels and piss and moan, (laughs) or you can get active, or you can just numb yourself through TikTok and video games. (laughs) Either way, (laughs) there is a choice to be made.
1: Yeah, and it's a costly choice. Just shut my Logos program.
0: Shut my Bible program down, guys. I apologize. Um, But given, given the nature of uh, 2024 on the rise. And as I wait for my 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 program to boot up with all my passages saved, since I have a slower computer at the moment, it's taking its sweet time. Continuing, there we go. All right, um, given the nature of the world that we live in, which is a fallen world. Let me pull up my list, thank you. You know, when I was overseas, so when I graduated the Q course, I was up at a church in New England and the pastor prayed for me now i was not raised in any type of charismatic church by any stretch of the imagination my parents went to a charismatic church one time um my dad came out of christian science so he had never really been exposed to any of that stuff right he became a christian after i was born my mother was raised by a methodist minister out of uh kansas so they they are not exactly any type of charismatic that you would you know there—there there is no charismatic at all within that um so they went to a church one time. My dad's first exposure to anything of that nature was they were in a group and there was this pretty horrific thing that a woman got a quote unquote word of knowledge on about my mother. and she just kept hammering her like, you need to repent of this. I've had a word of knowledge. You need to repent of this. And the, of course my parents were like, yeah, that's never happened. Um, don't know what you're talking about and like, no, the Lord gave Lord gave me a word of knowledge. Um, so, so we avoided pretty much anything regarding the bit more carrot, I guess you could say charismatic gifts or anything like that. Um, but I was up in a church in New England and this, the pastor had me come up to the front and prayed over me and then had the elders pray over me. It was very, very interesting situation because I'd, again, never been experienced, exposed or experienced anything like this, of this nature, nor was I ever taught it. Um, so I was standing there. And as they were praying over me, the pastor said, you will be protected and you will be a protection to those around you. And as he was saying this, the the only way I can describe what I experienced was heat mm. that came from like my chest and just spread through. And I could not physically stand. Mm. I could not physically stand. They had to actually hold me up. And it was not a hardcore charismatic church or anything like that. It, so there was something very, very, um, special that I experienced at that moment. And from that time, and even though I was not always living as I should during my time in group, especially the first five five years, yeah. So I got there in 07, May of 07. And 2012 was when God really got a hold of me hardcore and be like, hey dude, you are you are messing up, royal. And so, but every, every time we go out on mission or we'd go outside the gate, I would pray Psalm 91. I would read it. Um, and the only time people got hurt or got killed was when I was not there. Mm. And we were in some pretty hairy situations. Um, and that just, you know, to me was a demonstration of, of not that I'm anybody, but God has, you know, God spoke and his word was going to come to pass and how, however that played out. Um, so I want to start with Psalm 91 because I think that it's so important for us to remember that our faith and our strength is not in ourselves. It's not in our abilities. It's not in our capabilities and ultimately we can do nothing to protect ourselves. Obviously there there's certain things, measures you can take, right? Learning self-defense, learning to shoot a gun, uh, building up food stores. And just so everybody knows that pumpkin, canned pumpkin is very healthy and it lasts <laughs> like nine to 10 years. And you got canned sardines and canned chicken. Uh, my wife is not happy about my sourdine stores, <laughs> but they're so good for you. Um, Gross. But, <laughs> I, 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 that was Syria. Me, me and my buddy, all we ate was canned sardines because oh, we had like not, we, we did not have a lot to eat in Syria. And so those were, those were a delicacy. Gross. Um, <laughs> but, you know, ultimately it's the Lord that protects us and we have to look to Him for protection, you know, and, and, and trust that He is going to see us through whatever situation we are in or situation we are going into. And even if we get killed, you know, it's kind of like, and we get to mm-hmm. guess what, <laughs> we we get to move on to something much greater and better, you know, so we, we don't need to be afraid. And our, our faith and our trust can be in the Lord for his protection and seeing and he will see that carried out however he sees fit. Um, So I want to start with Psalm 91, because, again, going into 2024 with the things that are going on, we see, obviously, with the programming coming from the uh, Obama's movie, Leave the World Behind, about a mass attack on the power grid the Civil War movie coming out, them kicking Trump off the ballot, because ultimately what they're they're wanting to to a civil war to kick off. They are having, I think, at this point now, it was either this year or last three years. They've had more migrants come across than is the population of 26 of our states. Mm-hmm. You know, so so this this is not a small number. Like we are actually watching a full on scale, a full scale invasion. If any other nation <clears throat> would have sent that many people into their country, if Russia would have sent that many people into any other country, it, it would be considered an invasion. We know that all the Western nations would have said, oh, that's that's a mass invasion world war. Let's go. We need to stop this. But that is not happening. This this is planned out. Many of these people, if you watch them and if you actually look at the people marching through the border, they have new shoes, they've got new backpacks, they they are well taken care of. They're being busted. You know, who's paying for these well that'd be george soros that'd be some of these other people these major globalists because they understand for their plans to be implemented they ultimately need to see the fall of america mm-hmm. and we are we're going and right along right down that route and i think that a lot of this has to do with you know our turning from god and we're going to go into some of those statistics but so we see the invasion of our country we see this whole ufo uap phenomena on the rise this uh, seeking of truth in a completely wrong direction with guys like Joe Rogan and many of those uh, talking about the spiritual thing. Um, <clears throat> the things. One of the things that's very interesting that has come out here recently, so within the special operations community, guys like me can go get PTSD treatment with DMT, Ibogaine, major hallucinogenics. Now, as we know, these things were used to contact the gods back in the day by tribes. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that Christians that do these things have some pretty terrifying experiences because they're putting themselves into a world and contacting it in a way that they are not allowed to. And they're Mm -hmm. poking their head right up saying, hey, here I am. Well, now they're opening this up to the regular army Mm -hmm. and guys that are veterans. So we shouldn't be surprised (laughs) as we, you know, really, when we look at it, our our nation is prepped and ready for a spiritual awakening of the completely wrong kind. Mm -hmm. So... I want to read Psalm 91 because, again, there's a lot of craziness. We we are going down a rabbit hole that many of us did not think we'd be going down this soon. I mean, 10 years ago, none of us would have thought that this stuff was coming out that is, but it is. So I want us to remember who our trust is in. So mm-hmm. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be in. Hi- I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation.
1: That's such a great psalm.
0: That's an awesome psalm. Yeah. That is an awesome psalm. Well, but I would not read that. So- Go ahead.
1: No, I interrupted you. Go ahead.
0: But I, yeah, so I would I would read that every time before we went out. And I pray that every time we before we went out on, on, on mission and... There's just a piece, you know. When our, we when we put our our faith in Christ, it's a one-time thing from the standpoint of justification, right? We're stamped innocent by the blood of Christ. However, when we look at this from a warfare standpoint, again, it is a constant, daily choice to put our faith and trust in Christ. You know, we you've mentioned Doctor Chuck Missler and what he always says: God will ask you in a new way every day, "Do you trust me?" Mm-hmm. And over and over and over, God proves Himself. Faithful, mm-hmm. so we don't need to worry. We don't need, right? We don't need to have anxiety. Yeah, you know, be anxious for nothing, mm-hmm. but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. I think that's. I, I think I screwed that last part up, but basically, like guys, we don't need to worry. It's His kingdom. Let Him worry about it. Yeah. You know,
1: well, Matthew six, that's what Jesus tells us: don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. And you know, there is a real temptation. It's funny. I remember a couple of years ago I was praying about something and the Lord just kind of revealed to me, you, you have your faith in me for eternity. You know when you pass away you know where you're gonna go but you don't trust me for your day-to-day needs and it was just kind of like the irony of that was you know he kind of really settled on me and i think what's interesting especially as americans this is our temptation because we've been taught you know work hard put your money in a 401k, get your little white picket fence house, get your equity and become becomes, you know, financially stable. And I know I'm guilty of this, especially being a Dave Ramsey fan. And I do think by the way, that being a good steward of your finances is an important thing, but it's very easy to put your faith in those things and say, well, I've got my secure 401k and I've got all these things, you know, set up and, you know to the point that the psalm makes and that the the bible makes over and over again but those things can disappear in an instant and you know when when you have comfortable things or when things are settled in your life it's really easy to put faith in those and forget that it's ultimately the lord who sustains you and i think that you'll find that god will always lead god will always lead his people in a way where we have what we need for today but we have to look for him to him for tomorrow and yeah. that that seems uncomfortable. And that seems awkward until you realize who it is that you're putting your faith in. And this is why having a steady diet of the word of God is so important. It's because being in God's word and being, you know, spending time with him and making him a priority in your day gets you set up in that frame of mind where you recognize that I'm putting my faith in the only sure thing that there is in this world, which is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's not some arbitrary sky daddy, you know, make believe, you know, um, like, like the Sam Harris's of the world want to accuse us of having this psychological coping mechanism that we have, you know, this invisible, this invisible force that we put our faith in, but instead it's the one that spoke this, you know, this the sun into existence created everything with his word. And there's nothing more sure that we can put our faith in than him. So not, not ironically, the psalm that I have. Dev tells very well <laughs> with Psalm 91. So if it's all right with you, I'm going to jump into Psalm 146. Alleluia, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in mortal man who cannot save. When his spirit departs, he returns to the ground. On that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners. He sustains the fatherless and the widow but the ways of the wicked he frustrates. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations, alleluia.
0: So, the, <clears throat> Michael Faraday, this is from, oh, what's his name, John. this is from John Lennox's book, Can Science Explain Everything? And he's discussing uh, the scientists of the centuries and how they believed in God. And speaking of Michael Faraday, this man lived from 1791 to 1867. Lennox says he is arguably the greatest ever experimental scientist, was a a man of profound Christian convictions. As he lay on his deathbed, he was asked by a visiting friend, Sir Michael, what speculations have you now? For a man who had spent his life making speculations about a vast array of scientific subjects, discarding some and establishing others, his response was robust. Speculations? Man, I have none. I have certainties. I thank God that I do not rest my dying head upon Speculations? for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. <laughs> As he faced eternity, Faraday had the certainty that upheld the apostle Paul centuries before him. I think That's that amazing. that flows well. When you well. read
1: Lennox, you have to do it with a cute Irish accent. Come on I now. can't
0: do that. I can't do that. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to attempt Lennox. I love listening to Lennox.
1: Me too. His accent is the greatest.
0: But that that goes well, I think. you know it, It's so well to look at the certainty these men had facing death you know, really, when we look at how we should face the world, we should act as if there is no tomorrow, that today is, is that we are prepared to die today. And why? Because in that, we have that faith and certainty that today I need to accomplish what he has given me. This is my last day. There, there are no more promised opportunities. We're not promised one more moment, right? James talks about our life being a vapor, you know, and so we need to act as though it is our final day and that our certainty is in what he has promised. You know, and, and so when when we do that, when we hold those certainties, it, it again should shift our mindset to an eternal mindset, a kingdom mindset that no matter what the operational environment is, we're still here to build the kingdom of the Lord. They're still here to to build up treasures in heaven and that everything that we're doing is in preparation for the kingdom and to be with the Lord when we stand before the beam of seat of Christ and all of our works, whether good or bad, whether done through His Spirit or done in our own power for us for Him, it's all going to have fire put to it, and whatever's going to be left over is our inheritance. And then our position in the kingdom is going to depend on did we steward those responsibilities He gave us, you know. And I know we're probably on repeat here, and it's like, Dad, come change the freaking record. But yeah. I mean, at the same time, I, I think that there needs to be a constant repetition, you know, of of the basics. <clears throat> we need to move on to maturity in the Word of God, obviously, and. You know, Paul talks, or the writer of Hebrews references in Hebrews 6, you know, hey, many of you should be teachers by now, but you're not. It might be Hebrews 5. Um, But when it comes to the basics, I I think having the basics down, I was talking to my buddy, um, a couple of my buddies, my SF buddies, and we were talking about, you know, professionalism and and what is a true, a true expert, a true professional. And it's not one that just has the basics down and is not going to make a mistake. It's one that has practiced the basics so well, they can't make a mistake. They, they, they are they are so locked into the basics that when they get to the advanced stuff, that is so much easier because they have the basics locked down. And I think the basics for the Christians should definitely be aside from, you know, what's written in, in the book of Hebrews and laid out as foundational doctrines. The basics for us needs to be, <laughs> we, we, we are here for a moment and this earth suit is, it, it's kind of like a lie. You know, from the standpoint of the America, uh, from the standpoint of the American viewpoint, which is like you said, get your 401k, get your nice picket fence, get your house, get your whatever, right? Get your video games, blow your life away in entertainment. And I think John Piper discusses, uh, d- speaks of it well in his sermon on not wasting your life. And there's a sermon jam out there talking about, you know, this. He was reading this article, and these people were talking about, you know, you you live your life right you do all these things you you hit the grind to hit that age 65 and then you look at you know 15 20 years of life of play leisure ease while the world heads heads up, you know unevangelized starving whatever and you are just sitting here in ease and just playing around and there's so much mission work to get on and do you know and and, and i think that that's really the the thing is that no matter what our age the the mission doesn't stop you're, you know, it, it doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you finish, mm. you know, so so you say you had a good career and you did well for about 10 years in your Christian walk and you were on fire and you were, I'm not saying you're always going to feel it, but you're doing the things that you know you need to do. You're on mission, you're discipling, whatever, whatever God lays before you. But then you're like, "Oh, I, I did good, so I'm, I'm going to back up a bit. And then you just buy into the lie of relaxation and ease and chilling. You know, I'm all about rest and recuperation. Don't get me wrong. We need that. sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath however we can't we can't we cannot buy into the lie that there isn't a war raging around us Mm -hmm. the enemy doesn't stop you know again i I look at guys like dan mcclellan and bart ehrman and um these people on tiktok who are deconstructionists and fighting against christ like openly fighting against christianity and hostile to it and they spend hours upon hours on tiktok lives hours and hours researching making content they put more research in to a book that they don't believe in than the majority of Christians do to to cultivating a relationship with Christ you know so not not to rant not to baseball bat everybody you know so maybe this is you maybe it's not maybe it's a wake up call maybe it's not you know but but I guess it comes down to again just something we've stated over and over like at some point we have to get hungry and we have to take this serious and we start have to start having to have that eternal mindset where it's like guys is he not worthy of it? Is he not worthy of our lives? And then everything that that entails—you know—the time investment—is—is is it fun to sit down and edit a TikTok for me? No, not not necessarily. I I enjoy doing the research, but but I don't like sitting and editing and this and that. You know, it, it's it's a—it's not that it's the work. It's just it's just kind of mundane. You know, <laughs> but at the same time, that's that's what he's given me to do. You know, and it's not always easy. It's not always fun, but if we did, the, if we wanted to have fun, I'd, I'd go play video games. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to the casino down by Fort Campbell. So well, there is
1: a rest coming for us.
0: Yes. And
1: you know, like you said, God, there will be seasons of rest in, in, in our lifetime. And our shepherd knows, he knows when we need to lie down beside green pastures. And he knows that when we need to be taken out, you know, and, and taken through the valley of shadow, the, the valley of death, right? Yeah. and so, You know, so there are different seasons, certainly as Christians. The trouble we get into is when we long to be in a season other than the one that we're in, and when we don't just rest where the Lord has us. And it, wherever that is, you know, this is why Psalm 23 is such an important psalm for us to just know deep in our soul because there are going to be different places that the shepherd places us because he's doing different things in our life. There is a Sabbath rest waiting for us, but it's it, it, the, the, what we're longing for, what that cry that's in deep in the heart of every human being is is an eternal sabbath rest that does not come this side of eternity there will be reprieves there will be moments of peace there will be times when when he leads us besides quiet you know quiet waters and still waters but you know that those seasons are just that there will there will be an eternity for that but until then we have a job to do and to your point the enemy isn't the enemy isn't resting. he's not taking a break he knows his time is short i was reading revelation 12 and you know the, the, what Revelation twelve makes painfully clear is that the enemy just goes crazy because he knows his time is short. By the time yeah. that he's cast down, you know we see that he's on full fledged mission because he recognizes the season. If 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 our enemy re- who is defeated, you know as you as you constantly quote, we we don't war for victory, we war from victory. If the en- enemy who's already defeated is working on over time how much more should those of us who've been redeemed by the lamb who belong to the king who are now sons of god who you know i i think the christmas season is always such a special time because we get to look back and think about the fact that god became man you know philippians 2 he humbled himself and he wore the flesh of man so that way we can become the sons of god and that is such an unbelievable such an unbelievable thing when we truly understand what it means now to be you know, children of God because of what Jesus did for us. How much more so should we be engaged in the battle and care for the souls of those that Jesus paid everything for? I mean, that's what it boils down to is that is God's immense love for his image bearers, for those who created in his image. And, and if, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments and my disciples will be known by their love. And that, that, that is a sacrificial love. That's a love that says I'm okay. If this costs me everything, because it cost him everything.
0: Yeah, there's a Sebastian Munger in his "Why Soldiers Miss War" talks about brotherhood, and it's that I may not like you, but I'm I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to say I love all of you more than I love myself, regardless of how I actually feel about you. You know, that's 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 why soldiers miss war. I mean, you know, imagine that being 18 years old, 19 years old. I mean, granted, the the it's not like it is now. And I was talking to my old senior we were talking about just really, we didn't realize how good we had it from the standpoint of rotations. Cause you had a lot of SF guys that they aren't deploying, you know, they're not deploying now like we were, and we were doing back-to-back trips. You know, I got my CIB, I got my combat patch, all that stuff. And that the CIB's combat infantry badge means you've actually been in combat, not just in a combat zone. So that, you know, for us, we didn't realize how good we actually had it from an SF standpoint, because we were getting to go out there and do a lot of the things that we were trained to do. And these guys do get to do it to some extent, but not near like we did. Um, but, you know, I, I think that with what we're talking about here, it goes, the reason we're talking about these things is is because of the statistics that are coming out now. And, and if you don't think that you are vital, you are, you are horribly mistaking. Mm. So I, I want Tiana to hit this first news article because these numbers, I, I think are actually going to shock you guys. When you actually realize those of you that are listening in whatever country you're in, because this isn't now this is America. I know in England, it's way worse. Mm. Um, and I know we do have some listeners in England. But but if you do not think you are important and, and you are needed, especially if you are a biblically based Christian, you, you are you are you are missing the boat because you, you are needed really, honestly, more than ever. And, it, you know, Mordecai in Esther talks about, you know, being being raised up for such a time as this, mm-hmm. I would say we are all here, each and every one of us in our individual countries, in our individual cities, in our churches and where we are it, geographically for a purpose yeah. for a reason. So go ahead, Tiana.
1: Alrighty. First. Most Americans say the Bible doesn't influence their view on Israel. This is a poll posted by Christian Post. Only about a quarter of American Christians say the Bible influences their views on Israel as the Israel-Hamas war continues after the October 7th attack on civilians in southern Israel killed over 1,200 and prompted an Israeli military offensive in Gaza. LifeWay Research, in collaboration with the Phyllis Project, conducted a survey asking 1,250 two American Christians for their views on the Israel Hamas war. The poll conducted between November 14th and the twenty first and released on December 14th has a margin of error of 0.2, 2.9% point two point nine percent point. percentage points. Respondents were asked about what has influenced their view about Israel and were given a list of responses that they could select and apply. About 27% of Christians selected the Bible, suggesting that among 73 of the respondents, the Bible does not inform their view of Israel. The Bible was the second most commonly cited answer, coming in behind the media at 56%.
0: So what does this tell us? That the Bible is cited as an answer... However, that's behind the media at 56%. But what this means is that even though they're reading the Bible and seeing what it says about the nation of Israel, they're ignoring it, Mm -hmm. but only 27% of Americans or 27% of Christians. Now, when we look back at the study of the poll in 2022, and we've covered this before, but I want to hit it again. This is out of Arizona Christian University. Uh, This came out last year in May. According to this report, the level of biblical worldview varies by pastoral position held. Among senior pastors, 41% hold a biblical worldview. This is the highest with the next highest at 28% among associate pastors. One of the more concerning revelations emerging from the research is the worldview of pastors who worked with young people. The study found that only 12% of children's and youth pastors hold a biblical worldview. And among teaching pastors, the level of biblical worldview is a mere 13%. A person's worldview is primarily primarily develops before the age of 13, then goes through a period of refinement during their teens and twenties. Therefore, from a worldview development perspective, a church's most important ministers are the children's pastors and the youth pastors. So, but what's the problem? We usually just throw some dude in that position a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? Somebody that's gifted. We, <clears throat> why are we not, like, when you look at what goes on in youth in youth groups, it, a lot of it is not training these kids in the in the scriptures. It just mm-hmm. isn't. There are some churches that are doing it, yes, but <clears throat> a large part of it it's it's a younger person that is just coming up in ministry. They're kind of get, but you know, it, there, there's a real lack there when it comes to what the full on purpose is of training those children in the Word and in being walking out Christ and what that means to be a Christian, especially in today's age. It, it is so vital because they are being indoctrinated in schools with atheistic evolution um you know then obviously when they hit college you're dealing with higher criticism you're dealing with the the, the view of christianity from people like bart ehrman you know the that it's all just a myth etc cetera, etc cetera. but discovering that seven out of every eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview helps to explain why so few among the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and mind for biblical principles and ways of life and why our society seems to have run wild over the last decade that's what george barna stated uh, please don't die on me, Tiana. She and I have <laughs> both got coughs. We're both like muting our microphones back and forth, hacking along. It's actually kind of funny to watch. It's funny to watch. <clears throat> but, uh, it, There we go. I think we, okay, I'm good. I thought I was going to start a hack fest. Um, but so, right now, uh, as far as the influence of Israel, and so, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things that we, it's not just due to higher, schol- higher critical scholarship that is in liberal scholarship that's mm-hmm. invaded the West for the last. Two hundred years. Mm-hmm. This is also due to men like Augustine. Now, people can say what they want. They can can really like Augustine. You know, some of the things that he wrote was so grand. <clears throat> I personally am not a fan of Augustine. When you do a lot of the research, what you find is while he was a Christian, while he wrote great treatises, whatever, the man was trained and in instructed rhetoric. He initially rejected Christianity, rejected the Bible, didn't like it. Um, he did become a Christian. Yes, he professed faith in Christ. However, the man was more concerned about being right and winning debates and paying his opponents in the worst possible light than he was actually about the truth of scripture. Um, when amongst Calvinists, you'll hear people that, uh, amongst Calvinists and Reformed uh, people, you'll hear them say, uh, if you don't believe it, oh, you're a Pelagian, semi-Pelagian, blah, 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 blah. And well, there's that's a loaded term. And really it's it's a term meant to create what's called a boogeyman fallacy or a whitewash. And that's just say, hey, we're going to paint this person with the worst possible name, with the most loaded terms possible, just so we can just reject them. <clears throat> we don't have to deal with what they're actually saying. Well, Augustine, like pelagius like he didn't like Pelagius. He was one of his opponents. So he actually developed 14 supposed teachings that Pelagius had, which Pelagius never actually taught, and Pelagius openly rejected. And there was a woman named Allie Bonner. Uh, she did her piece. She did, it was either postdoctoral work or whatever, uh, but she wrote a book called The Myth of Pelagianism, Pelagianism, where she actually went through Pelagius writings that we have, went through the history and said, yeah, what Augustine said this guy taught, he never taught and he openly denied. And <laughs> but um, and then there there's a bunch of other stuff. He syncretized Gnosticism. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where his views of predestination, election, regeneration all came into play. Um, during his debates on infant baptism, things like that. It was not through his reading of the Book of Romans, as is so often stated. Uh, and actually, Ken, Dr. Ken Wilson did his doctoral work on this subject. He actually read all of Augustine's works chronologically, not just—he read all of them, and there's, there's about six, seven people in the world that have actually read all of Augustine's works. However, he is the first to actually do it chronologically. But by doing that, what he was able to do is demonstrate— when augustine actually made his changes to his beliefs and it wasn't when he was reading romans or reading a certain passage it was during a specific debate and in order to win the debate so for example um the idea of uh election right Mm -hmm. um just arbitrary election because uh that we can't know unconditional election is what they would call it under the tulip in calvinism uh the question was well why does uh my wife and I are believers. We have a baby. We need to get the baby to the baptismal fount before it dies because they believe baptism was re- was, regenerate, uh, was regenerational, it would bring you, would uh, regenerate you and, you know, you'd be saved through baptism. So me and my wife have a baby. We run to the baptismal fount. The baby dies, goes to hell because we couldn't get there in time. However, the prostitute, she has a baby. She runs to the baptismal fount, gets it baptized and the baby dies and then it goes to heaven. Well, why why is that? Why, why why, the prostitutes, baby, and not the Christian parents? And so it was, well, sovereignty of God, election. He chose, right? And, and so what he did is um, he was actually part of um, three of the most deterministic Gnostic groups, the Neoplatonists, the Manachians, and then I can't remember what else. But he held these views. And then during the debates uh, about different matters, he actually syncret- He went back and syncretized those views into his Christian beliefs. So... Augustine is a major reason why we have so much allegorization. Um, he followed men like Origen who heavily allegorized the Bible. And because Augustine is a major church father in the Western church, and the Catholic church, and men like Luther and Calvin uh, came out of that uh, Augustinian Catholicism and then maintained uh, studying him and following him, that's why there's such a heavy influence of of Augustine in the West. Why we hold a lot of denominations and people hold a a less literal interpretation of prophecy um and why why that's why we have a massive thing with replacement theology um that because his book city of god he he originally was premillennial he believed in a literal millennial kingdom with Jesus Christ reigning on the earth and then due to things going on within the empire at the time he moved to an amillennial stance oh that Jesus is you know ruling on the throne of david in heaven you know and so you start to do all this allegorical interpretation. But I say all that to say that this isn't one thing. This isn't just liberal theology. This isn't just higher criticism. This isn't just questioning the text. This is decades and centuries and millennia of negating the text, not taking it as true, as literal, as fact. And every time you compromise, it gets easier to compromise on other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's a pattern that's been set. And we have basically gone hook, line, and sinker into it. So, you know, and when we look at Walter Martin discusses this when in his discussion on liberal theology. And he actually was, I believe he was paid by J. Howard Pugh, he was the head of the layman's committee for the Presbyterian Church, to go into all the major seminaries and say, I want to know if they're Orthodox, neo-Orthodox, or liberal. And I want to know how they got there. And what he did when Walter Martin did the research, he found the same pattern. The first thing to go was a full belief in scripture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The, the 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 Bible started to be removed and they moved towards liberal theology. And once they moved towards a, a liberal view of the Bible, everything else went. Mm-hmm. Their view on Christ, their view on the God, their view on Israel, I mean, just every single belief. And now we are where we are today. We're very much a post-liberal, post, uh, post-liberal post-higher critical world where these things are just accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, so when we look at higher critical scholarship, you know, they don't believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. They say it was, uh, basically they just took a bunch, bunch of different resources and these redactors threw them together into the first five books of the Bible. Now, some of the reasons that they initially had to develop this was they said, well, there was, there was no trafficking in camels in Egypt or anywhere at that time, or in the area that they had at that time during Abraham's day, there was no writing in Moses day. Um, There was no nation known as the Hittites, and and there's a couple others, but that was the original, back in the 1800s, the original beliefs that led to the development of what's called the documentary hypothesis. All those initial beliefs have been proven false. Mm -hmm. They've been proven wrong. So what should we say then? Hmm. All the initial beliefs that led to the development of this theory have been proven false. So maybe we need to actually go back and say, hey, the Bible got these things right, which actually demonstrates that these people were eyewitnesses. The documents which developed these and the writers at that time, which Moses took, they were correct. They had to be eyewitnesses because mm-hmm. even the greatest historians didn't know these things. Mm-hmm. But do they do that? No, they lock in. They, you know, it, it's kind of that, well, we can't explain it now, but science will be able to, It's a, it, science will be able to explain it in the future. <laughs> you know, um, like any good scholar and good theologian, we, we can't let my theory that's been proven wrong go away. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to just dig in harder but you know that this is something that has been growing for centuries
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and so we shouldn't be surprised when we see this and for those that stand on biblical truth and actually call for a little interpretation we should not be surprised if we are spoken against very mm-hmm. strongly mm-hmm. which we are even amongst the christian community um I, you know i i put a couple TikToks out about the book of revelation and it was interesting because the common thing that I see as I got hammered for being a dispensationalist or hammered for taking literal interpretation of the book of Revelation. And they basically, like people say, these stupid dispensationalists, they, they think their view is the, they can't understand any other view. It's like, well, it's, it's not that. It's that studied all the views. You have to <laughs> allegorize a piss ton of text. You know, they take Ezekiel 36, where God says to the nation of Israel, I'm going to bring you back in the land, not because of you, but because for my namesake, Mm-hmm. So when God says, "Hey, I'm going to bring the nation back in the land." And then Israel comes back in the land, you kind of have to say, "Okay, maybe maybe it was right. Maybe the literal, literal interpretation is the correct one." Yeah. Um Ezekiel 37, the bones, the dry bones, right? They come in, it says, "Who hey, these bones are, the whole house of Israel." You know, he gives you the answer to the question. You know, <laughs> right. but um uh, so I know I'm I'm waxing along on this, but I I want you guys to have an understanding of, of the development of these things and where we are at this point not just within the world but within the church. If you are a Bible believing Christian that holds a literal interpretation of scripture, obviously taking into account figures of speech, poetry, things like that, things of the mm-hmm. nature, you are in in a in a a massive minority. Yeah. And you're needed. Yes. You're needed. And and well, this goes back go ahead.
1: No, no, no I interrupted you, sorry.
0: But the, and this so now we've gone over 27% of Christian professing Christians let the Bible influence their view of Israel. Last year only a very small percentage of pastors actually hold a biblical worldview, and this then I think moves on well to what just came out. Yeah. On.
1: I just want to throw two things in there. the The first thing I want to say is, you know, first of all, as a as a an, a parent, this responsibility lies with you. If your child's worldview is, is built by the time they're thirteen, then it has to start in the home, and we cannot delegate this responsibility to the church. And so, you know, as parents making sure that this is something that you are shepherding within your children is a critical thing to do and one thing i will i will say there's a lot of great resources out there one of the great resources if you've never found it is called patterns of evidence and it's a christian filmmaker who goes through and covers these topics that paul's talking about and he talks to the the scholars that have criticisms he has a whole one about did Moses write the five books of the Bible and he goes through and he hits all those arguments he listens to the scholars and then he shows the evidence that refutes the points that they're making and they're great films it's a Christian ministry he holds to a strict you know biblical worldview and he goes through and dispels these things these are the things you should be exposing your children to as parents parents you should be exposed to them first and foremost and then you should be exposing them to your children because you know you, you can't delegate this to the church but the other thing i would say is does your pastor hold a biblical worldview? and if not then this is something you probably need to question whether or not you're in the right church because i can only imagine that you know what's at the top trickles down if you're taking if you're going to a church where your pastor it does not hold the bible as being the sole source of truth that is going to influence you and your family in adverse ways now there may be some cases where you have you you know you're a very solid biblical family and god has called you there to to be a light to that church and that, you know there are those circumstances but that's those are rare circumstances you know t- typically speaking the pastor's the leader of the church and god's not going to send somebody else to lead the pastor i mean that's you know you're you're getting into murky waters there but um but my point being this you know the responsibility lies with us at home first and foremost And we need to be conscientious of what churches we're going to, what they're teaching our children, but most importantly, what we are teaching our children at home. Anyway, sorry, Paul, I wanted to throw that in there before we move on.
0: No, no, I think it's solid. We'll hit this and then, sorry, I had a cough, killing me. Um, (laughs) Go ahead with this, Tiana.
1: Alright, biblical worldview amongst U.S. adults drops 33% since start of COVID-19 pandemic. Most Americans, 68%, still consider themselves to be Christians. Among these self-identified Christians, though, only 6% have a biblical worldview. Less than half of the self-identified Christians can be classified as born-again, defined as believing that they will go to heaven after they die, but only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as their Savior. Within the born-again population, just 33% of the adult population, a shockingly small portion. 13 percent hold a biblical worldview age has a consistent correlation with biblical worldview incidents the younger a person the less likely they are to be an integrated disciple i.e have a biblical worldview among adults under 30 percent, just one percent have a biblical worldview the incident rises to three percent amongst people in their 30s and 40s and 5% amongst those ages 50 to 64, and peaks at 8% amongst adults 65 plus. People living in regions of the country considered to be more religiously active had a slightly higher levels of biblical worldview. 6% of residents of the South and 5% of those living in the Midwest have a biblical worldview, compared to just 3% in the West and 1% in the Northeast. In his analysis of the research, Barna explained the need for more Christian churches and schools to focus on biblical worldview development. People do not develop a biblical worldview randomly or by default, he explained. The impact of arts and entertainment government and public schools is clearly apparent in the shift away from biblical perspectives to a more experiential and emotional form of decision making. It will require parents in particular and cultural leaders who care about this matter to energetically and creatively persuade children and their influencers to embrace biblical biblical principles as the foundation for personal decision making.
0: So, there's the numbers, an incredibly small number. And when you mentioned the education system, remember what Charles Francis Potter stated. Education is thus a most powerful ally of humanism and every public school is a school of humanism. What can the theistic Sunday school meeting for an hour once a week and teaching only a fraction of the children do to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? <clears throat> so they, they, again, our children, if we are sending them to public school, we are sending them to an indoctrination program. Therefore, you as, we as parents hold the responsibility of training our children. When we look at 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul speaking of Timothy, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. What we learn is that Timothy's mother and grandmother trained him. They taught him in the faith. We see in Deuteronomy 6.4, the call, the Shema, the, "'The call to Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, "'the Lord is one. "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all your soul, with all your strength. "'And these words which I command you today "'shall be in your heart. "'You shall teach them diligently to your children "'and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, "'when you walk by the way, when you lie down, "'when you rise up. "'You will bind them as a sign on your hand, "'and they will be as frontlets between your eyes. "'You shall write them on the doorpost of your house "'and on your gates.' So the 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 education that we are commanded to here, that Israel was commanded to, was to teach their children. And it says, when you wait, when you get up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way, always talk about these things. Let the word ever be on your lips. Let it be a constant discussion going on. It it it's so vital. In Proverbs twenty two, six, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is not a set, definite promise right? Proverbs is very pithy statements that are general rules of truth, right? It's, it's not always going to go that way. However, as we know, again, a child's worldview is established by the time he's 13 and refined over the coming years. So when we look at the, at the warfare that we are in for the minds and hearts of our children, it, it, it's not even just our children, it's the entire nation. Mm-hmm. It's our churches because the majority of people in the churches do not hold a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Well, why would that be? Because we have churches like I have here, where the two biggest churches, three biggest churches will tell you, church is a business. The pastors will tell you, I'm an entrepreneur. And church is not, church is not for the believer. Church on Sunday is not for the believer. It's for the unbeliever. These are quotes from the, the pastors that I have had said to me. So again, <clears throat> if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you have no idea how much you are needed at this time to stand up for truth, to, to be a leader. To be training other people, you know there there a lot of us that are going through this process and, and living right now, you know you have to ask yourself how long have I been saved? Am I on fire for Jesus? Who am I discipling? We we know from the numbers that only five percent of all professing Christians are actually involved in being discipled and discipling, and it was like twenty seven percent I think it was were actively being discipled. Um, so the the numbers are just aren't good, guys. You know. And a lot of you, I think, ha- you understand that there is a ministry outside, externally to the world, of covert evangelism in your workplaces. All of those things, sowing seeds, watering. But don't forget, you have a mi- you have a ministry in the church. You have those that you could be discipling. Are Are you in a place where you could disciple? Because it's needed. Because our leaders aren't doing it. Our pastors aren't doing it. And we know the state of the pastors is 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 <laughs> when leadership is bad, everybody under them is probably worse. That's just that's just a matter of fact. Anybody that's been in business or in military or any type of uh, situation where it's a very leader led understands that. so but the scriptures clear we, we are responsible for training our children. we We will be held accountable the church the the church is not going to be held accountable for not training my children, right? Because most kids get you know an hour on Sunday school and that's singing and a lesson and then an hour at youth group on Wednesday night. Okay, what what about the other however many hundreds of hours you know so this is this is this is the reality we're sitting in right now mm-hmm. so you you have a voice you have it is I cannot stress the importance the importance for all of us to be to know our Bibles to be biblically based to, to understand what the text says and honestly to become giants of the faith a lot of the old guard is passing away Chuck missler, Charles Stanley, Chuck Smith Hal Lindsey is. I think that guy's in his nineties now, Mm -hmm. you know, and there are some other, other major names and other, other major players and their, their time is passing away. And one of the things that we have an issue right now, and this goes with everything, a lot of people, um, it was built around that one person.
1: Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? So then what? It doesn't mean that you are going to be the next Charles Stanley. It doesn't get it be, you're going to be the next major popular person, but to those that you will affect, you have no idea how important you are. You have no idea how important you are to that, to this generation. Like, yeah. I just, I, I know I'm kind of hammering it over and over and I might be like repeating myself and sit in my soapbox, but just reading these statistics, there, there has, there's really got to become a sense of urgency in us to realize where we are as the church. And it's not good, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's exciting mm-hmm. because that means that you have a major part to play and you can have a massive impact.
1: Yeah. Well, let us not be the church of Sardis, right? You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And this is why, you know, if there's something that we study in the book of Revelation, we should really study chapters two and three and pray over each of those, you know, and, and just ask the Lord if I'm if, if there's any Ephesus or Pergamum or Sardis or Thyatira in me, you know, cleanse me in, in Laodicea and Laodicea and wake me up because you know we don't we don't want to be disqualified because we allowed things that are temporary to disqualify us from eternal things because we got sidetracked or we you know i I think the thing the thing that you know paul one of the things you asked me last week that i thought was good is like you know what is the lord speaking to you this week and i was prepared for you to ask me that question this morning and i was thinking about it and i think the thing that, that the lord's been driving home to me this week is what you feel doesn't matter. In other words, you have to, you have to have the discipline to do stuff, even when you don't feel like it. And I think, you know, we, we live in a day and age where mental health is so bad. And I think a lot of that, I mean, there's so many different reasons why I think it's just because we're not healthy as a society, our food, our food sources, crap. And so most people have so many toxins running through their bodies that their bodies are not functioning healthy anymore. But we also have poisoned our minds with TV and entertainment, and we don't have a good grasp on what life is. Life is hard life has always been hard as humans and we've got these you know tv programs that make us think that my life should be easy and if i if i have struggles or challenges something's wrong with me and so we have you know a a crisis on our in our hands and a mental health crisis in our country and we're seeing this on the rise but i see it with a lot of a, a lot of christians as well and you know the thing that the lord just drives home to me is is it's your feelings are real but they don't dictate your behavior and we have to be. We have to be willing to do these things, even when we don't feel like it, even when we're scared, even when we feel, you know, inadequate or whatever. Um, the enemy plays a lot of tricks and a lot of games with our feelings, and we've got to be careful not to allow our feelings to disqualify us. I, I was thinking about that this morning. I mean, you and I both get up pretty early in the morning to do this podcast. I don't always feel like getting out of bed that's not the point. The point is, is that I do it because God's called me to do it until he says otherwise I get up and I do it, whether I feel like it or not. And, and that may be a physical feeling that may be an emotional feeling that may be all of the above. Right. Um, I, I know last week I was burning up with a fever at the 102. Did I want to get out of bed? No, but that's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, as, as Christians, we live, we live in a way that's different than the world. And that begins with our, how we think about the Lord and how we think about our commitment to him and our, my commitment to the Lord is deeper than the way I feel about the situation at the moment. And so I know a lot of people, you know, I don't know, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel capable. I don't, you know, who cares what you feel? And I don't mean that to be insensitive, but like put your feelings to the side. Feelings are liars. A lot of times our feelings are liars and just do it anyway, do it unqualified, do it scared, do it, you know, unsure, but, but don't do it apart from the Holy spirit, because let me tell you what, what did Jesus says? he said ask and you will receive seek and you will find and so if you say lord fill me with your holy spirit empower me use me i can't tell you how many people who i've heard stories of you know, for over the past couple of years, who just said, I don't feel like God can do anything with me. And I said, Well, you know, what? who cares what you feel, pray about it and ask God to open doors. And the next thing you know, I was standing in the grocery store and somebody behind me said something. And the next thing I know, I'm sharing the gospel. And I was here doing that. And I was at a family gathering doing this. And it's like, that's all God's asking for is your obedience. He's not asking for your feelings to get into alignment with his. He's asking for your obedience and so pray about it. If you feel afraid or you have anything that's hindering, you pray about it, give it to God. And then and just do what he commands you to do. I live by this mantra, and I tell you, if every Christian lived by this mantra, the world would be a different place. And this is a Charles Stanley quote: o- "Obey God and let Him deal with the consequences." Period.
0: Faith is because our, ultimately our 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 strength is not in us. You know, I had a conversation with a guy the other week uh, who is pastoring a church, and one of the things that we were talking about, and just due to some life situations, the Satan has got had his hooks in him on some things. And, and lies about failure and who he is, and it's like if you are looking to you, you're going to fail.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's not
0: about you, right. you know. And, and and that's the whole thing is that ultimately, if we say yes, I, I have this gift and I can do this, or whatever, or I'm scared. That's great news because guess what? None of us can do this. None of us are going to be successful apart from Christ. We will have successes, but we will not be successful apart from Christ. You know that that's the whole thing. It's not based on what what I do it's based on what he does through me and he will strengthen and empower you and give you everything you need in that moment to accomplish the task he's called you to do yep. that's the whole that, that that's the secret you know it's the christian life is not it's not that it's not easy it's impossible because it yeah. requires us to die to ourselves it's one of the easiest things to do honestly and the hardest for mankind because it means we have to deny ourselves you know it, it really is easy hey i just need to trust him and let him do it and i just do He's going to take care of it, but it's also the hardest thing because I have to get out of my own way and Mm -hmm. say, it's not my strength, you know? And this is why I love Proverbs three. When we look at Proverbs three, five through seven says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him. I'm going to repeat that again. In all your ways, acknowledge him, acknowledge him in everything Mm -hmm. in everything you do and everything that you receive, you acknowledge him in it. And then what does he say? You do these three things, and he will direct your paths. You know, and, and so often, I, I think in, in another pitfall within this that I think can happen is God opens the door and we're like, well, God, is, is this what you want me to do?
1: <laughs> right.
0: He, he's not going to do it for you. He'll do it through you. But he, he'll open those doors, but you got to walk mm-hmm. through them. So,
1: well, we got three more stories. Do we want to hound through them before we get to our Babylon B.
0: am going to hit the Babylon B because <laughs> I'm, right. I'm fighting off a cough fest. <laughs> not that i don't love
1: all of you i'll summarize them really quickly how's that um yeah you know california it. is now gonna require their their retail stores to carry gender neutral toy sections which again you know just continuing to confirm what paul and i've been saying things are going haywire um you know biden is doing the two-state solution talk which is dangerous uh, you know again we, Paul, and I have hammered that home, you know, quite extensively on here. That you know, we we will not suggest that God divides His land, <laughs> nor do we suggest that we follow that. And then the other thing that was kind of interesting is that Russia and Iran have officially ditched the U.S. dollar for trade. So, um, it shouldn't be surprising to us. You know, we know Ezekiel thirty-seven and thirty-eight are on the hori- or excuse me, thirty-eight and thirty-nine are on the horizon, and uh, you know, this is just getting us closer to that. So now
0: been funny because Chuck Chuck Missler talked about that um you know being on the is he, you know they expect it, is equal 38 and 39 man it's so hilarious like we're literally like taking turns hitting the mute button and <laughs> coughing, coughing. It is yeah. so awesome to watch <laughs> <laughs> um but you know from from a standpoint yes it, it can seem like oh man it, people have talked about this for so long when's it gonna happen but in the grand scheme of things it's really not that long of a time when you look about how how quickly all this stuff really does take place. I mean, heck, he was talking some of the things that Chuck was talking about 15 years ago didn't even come to pass, but they've came to pass in the last 6 months. Like, dude, that dude called it. He called it. But again, it was more than just like the biblical stuff. He was also part of the Intel community for a while. You know, he did he did a lot of government contracting. The guy the guy was connected and he had people he knew. So, um on my on my Babylon B, the Soros back district attorney prosecutes Illinois boy for terrorizing burglars in (laughs) Groveland, Illinois, Pierce County's district attorney has opened prosecution against an eight-year-old boy who reportedly terrorized two burglars robbing his parents' mansion. Young boy named Kevin McAllister was apparently home alone when the perpetrators attempted to sneak into the estate mcallister sprang into action with a series of ingenious attacks including blowtorches, paint cans and a tarantula the child engaged in a cruel vicious behavior that could have seriously injured the two gentlemen known as the wet bandits said district (laughs) attorney ansel hayden mcallister literally smashed marv's face with an iron when marv wished nothing more than to rob mcallister's family while doing the child serious bodily harm (laughs) Now, now for anybody now again truth is stranger than fiction uh, I did read, um, this was this was like 10 years ago. There was a, a guy who was robbing a house, fell through a skylight, cut his leg on a knife in the kitchen and sued the lady and won.
1: Yeah, I remember that story. I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, we've like lost our minds. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria,
0: <laughs> ghostbusters too. <laughs>
1: All right, mine is 10 differences between the underground church and the American church. American, complex growth and marketing strategies. Underground, growth strategy is preach the gospel and try not to die. American. Pastor jumps dirt bike over stage to attract a crowd. Underground. Pastor rides dirt bike to escape secret police. American. Pastor has thousands of followers on Instagram. Underground. Pastor is forced to hide his identity to avoid the gulag. American. Eight trained musicians playing over $12 million sound system. Underground. Acapella hymns whispered to avoid detection. American. Bummer. Your favorite preacher from the pastoral staff isn't speaking today. Underground. Bummer. The only pastor your church had was in prison last night. (laughs) American greeters stand near the door underground lookouts posted on the roof American pastor hides money in the walls underground pastor hides in the walls (laughs) (laughs) American search for a new church because the music isn't your style underground search for a new church because yours was burned down by warlords last week American the authorities have to issue a mandate to stop them from gathering together to worship underground the authorities have to kill them to stop them from gathering together to worship boom yeah that one hit home. It's a mic drop. Yeah.
0: That's a mic drop. You got anything else today, Tiana? On your no, heart? On your mind? Other
1: than, other than I will say, you know, um, 2023, you know, is closing as, as this gets, you know, launches as the last podcast of 2023. And as we go into 2024, I think a lot of us have a sense things are going to be a little bit chaotic. Um, but, you know, the, the reason that Paul and I are going to keep doing this as long as the Lord, you know, continues to have us doing this is because we want you guys to keep your eyes on Jesus through all the chaos. And, and like Paul said, you, you know, you, you you are very, very important right now. And kingdom math is a lot different than human math. In other words, one act of obedience, God can do a lot with one act of obedience that we don't see and fully understand, but we will one day. And we'll thank God that we t- that we took those moments. Every single time that we will be obedient to God, we will be grateful for. Every time that we are disobedient, we will have regret for. And so let's, let's you know, make a commitment going into 2024 that we're not going to have regrets because we said no to the kingdom and that we're going to go into 24 just, you know, with our arms, our arms wide open saying, yes, Lord, whatever it, whatever it is, my answer is yes.
0: That's all that needs to be said. Thank you guys for joining us. You guys are an encouragement and we pray for you daily, continue to do what you're doing. So thank you for joining us today, spending your time. Uh, If this podcast encouraged you, please like it, share it, subscribe to it, and just go out and bring glory and honor to our King. This is Paul's Warriors Rising, out.